When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. I got to ask you a serious question. I've got to ask you something that so many have been trying to figure out for the last three decades of your career. Pharrell, everybody knows that you're 85 years old. (laughs) Tell me about this skin line because the rumors have been it's been vampire blood. It may be infant baby pee that you rub on your face. It may be. We need to know because at 106, you still look the same. And now you have come out with a, a, a skincare line. And we need to know, will we be blessed with this eternal youth that you have been able to carry for the last uh, 600 years <laughs> since you first were born in Egypt <laughs> around Pharaoh and his cousin them. We want to know, tell us, tell us what's inside of this stuff so that we can get in line and have our hopes lifted to know that we can look like you. Brothers and sisters, <laughs> my name is Kirk Franklin and I come to give you Good words. Let's go. Ladies and gentlemen, I'm telling you that I have seen greatness in my lifetime on several levels. I've had a chance to be in some rooms with brilliant people, and it is a difficult job to have brilliance and greatness, but still keep a capacity of humility and kindness and passion. But I have found a brother like that, y'all. And it has been a blessing for me to serve him, be connected with him. And man, it is an amazing thing to see what God can do when he gives us his gifts. And it is a beautiful thing to watch us be good stewards of them. I have a brother right now. Y'all know him as a producer to the stars and a star in his own right. With the song, y'all, that was number one on the pop charts for, here it is, 12 weeks straight. (laughs) He's happy. He's a fashion mogul. He's an entrepreneur, but I believe he would definitely posture himself as a steward and a servant because that's who God made him to be. Ladies and gentlemen, please welcome to Good Words, Mr. Pharrell Williams. Okay. First of all, you're hilarious. <laughs> Second of all, my father's name is Pharaoh. His father's name was Pharaoh. Uh, so it's just funny. You're, you're funny the way you connect the dots. Pharrell, let me tell you something that you didn't know. Is I'm going to tell you okay. something that you didn't know. Is I'm going to be very transparent with you. Back in 2000, you don't remember this. Back in 2000, I met you outside of the Beverly Wilshire. And you said, yo, Kirk Franklin. Yo, man, get with us, man. I want to hook up. We from the church, bro. We down with that church music, too. We love gospel music. Get with us. And, and after I peed on myself just a little, I moved away and, <laughs> and didn't say anything else. In 2001, 
I saw you on the red carpet at the Grammy Awards and you said Kirk Franklin because you were with Snoop at the moment. And you said, Kirk Franklin, I told you, man, I love gospel music, brother. Get with me. You don't remember this. I re- well, I remember it because you were freaking Pharrell Williams and I remember it vividly. And I want to tell you something and I want to be very transparent with you. I had so much fear. The reason why I never reached out to you or even tried to reach out to you. I was so full of fear and intimidation because of all that I'd gone through with Stomp and working with Salt and how the church persecuted me. Mm-hmm. I was beat up so much by the church that I was so afraid to work with another mainstream artist, somebody as big as you were, that I allowed fear and intimidation to get in the way. Pharrell, I want to ask you a question. Yes, sir. What moment in your life did fear and intimidation almost get in the way of you tapping into something or somebody great? I have to say um, fear uh, of working with someone has never been my thing. If you were to take a glance at our career, meaning Chad Hugo and myself, we always were quick to jump outside the box because we always knew that it could be like alchemy you know, alchemical for us to work with people that where you didn't expect for us to work because I've always looked at sessions and collaborations as crash courses, like college crash courses. Mm. So that's never been uh, my issue because I've always known, like, it's like, man, if I get in the room with you, you're going to teach me something that I didn't know before and it's going to make me better because of it. So I, I didn't really have that issue. I feel like my issue is, is like completely different. It's more about curating and like, sometimes I would do stuff in the past because it was like, oh, they really need this song for the soundtrack. I'm like, okay, let's do it. Whereas I wasn't as prejudiced with my legacy as I probably should have been. Now we've mm-hmm. amassed like somewhere between three and a half to 4,000 songs or something. But arguably a third of them don't need to exist. Really? Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Maybe a third of them. For what? I mean, like you should do things because, and, I, and I'm different now. Like, I, mean, I feel like in the last 10 years, it's been like all things with purpose, with good, bad or indifferent, big or small you know, I do things now because I feel like there needs to be a purpose. I just hit a point in my life where I needed to, purpose needed to be number one because I used to just do things just because I really love to experiment in my music. I really wanted to just like, what happens when you put peanut butter and chocolate together? Reese's cup, wow, like let's do that again. (laughs) And that's cool, but I don't know that it's always... I don't think that that should be number one as much as it should be purpose oriented. Once you've studied what we've studied and done what we've done and you then you, then you understand that purpose has to come first because everything that you do um, regarding your legacy needs its purposeful place. So I think about things more, more along those lines now. 
we are going to have to come back and figure out, have a conversation in this discussion about where that level of courage and confidence came from because you've been in some of the biggest rooms in the entertainment industry. And oh, I can tell you, you. I can tell you. Where? That courage comes from thinking it's never going to last and knowing, having the metacognition Having the awareness, the self-awareness to know how fortunate I was because we we're from Virginia Beach, Virginia. But, you know, coming from Virginia and knowing that, like, we were so lucky for Teddy to give us that opportunity to come work with him and learn from him, knowing Amazing. that there, was, there wasn't a burgeoning, blossoming music industry there. So it's like... We knew that the business was in New York. We knew the business was in LA, and but we were living in Virginia. It's like, man, so if you're able to continue to do this, you're fortunate. You know what I'm saying? It was happening for our brother Tim and our sister Missy, but it wasn't happening too much for a while. It wasn't really happening too much more elsewhere there. So it was like, man, appreciate these opportunities. Don't just blow them over. Like, don't squander them make the most out of them and really go hard. <laughs> and that courage just led to like going hard. You used, you used fear as fuel. Y yeah. Yes. Yes. Yeah. You used fear as fuel. Even if yes. it wasn't a, a conscious definition of fear, whatever the anxiety or whatever you said about it not lasting forever, you used that energy as fuel to push you. And... So many people are stuck and not reaching their goals and dreams because of intimidation and, and fear. And it may be something with, you know, your mama. It may be something with your daddy that they just put the right tools in you. And I'm going to come back to that because I also know that you will never be able to be interviewed by anybody that will share um, your origin as much as I will because we are both church boys. <laughs> and I've been so excited to just hear how did Pharrell dress for Sunday morning when he was a youngin, when he was on his way to Pentecostal church? And, you know, you know, like, were you in the penny loafers? Did you have a polo button down? Like, were you slacked up? Did you do the three piece? How did you get ready for Sunday morning when you was a youngin? Man, we got, I got a lot of my suits like from like thrift stores. Me too. Me too. Yeah, we did. You know, we weren't like, it wasn't popping like, you know, and, and I would even argue like sometimes going to like Burlington Coat Factory or something like, you know, that was like, that was like a treat. Oh, yeah. See, that was next level. That was like a treat to do something like that. Like I, that wasn't, it wasn't popping like that, but I had something to wear and I had somewhere to go and it housed a spiritual energy that mm. I took for granted and I didn't know how powerful that source of energy and that, that replenishing, cleansing, charging energy was until I got out there and made it in the music industry where that wasn't so rampant, where there were other powers that were running, not just as powerful, but they were very powerful. And how that moved people where, cause there's money in the church, but the money outside of the church has no conscience. Let me tell you something. Let me tell you something, boy. You better. Come on, boy. You better. 
Come on, boy. Don't, don't, don't. Hold on. <laughs> hold on. Hold on. Take me slow. Take me slow, Reverend Bishop Pharrell. Come on. Take me slow. <laughs> For the people uh, that may not be familiar, tell them what does Pentecostal mean? Because the church you were going to was a Pentecostal church. There were a lot of rules. There were rules. Um, you know, the skirt. And a dress couldn't couldn't <laughs> couldn't go couldn't go above that knee. Um, I arguably was in the middle of those shins. Um, some of the most <laughs> some of the most well decorated decorative hats on 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 our older women. Um, <laughs> come on, come on, come on. Uh, some of the best blues progressions with some of the most amazing, especially once you, once you get out of the 70s going into the 80s and into the 90s, mm. it was less blues chord progressions and more of like these amazing jazz chord yes. progressions that yes. would set off a spiritual fire in there so crazy. Don't, don't mess with me, Pharrell. Don't mess with me. You know, don't mess with me. A lot of uh, circles with, with, you know, with our women just jumping up and down in joy. Yeah, uh, eyes rolling in the back of the head, totally in trance. Yes, sir. Totally, yes, sir. Yes. totally in trance. Feeling something. Cymbal rolls, you know, <laughs> Uh, flams from the from the drums, from the toms and the and the and the kicks, uh, drum rolls and yeah, and, 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 and and circles around our, <laughs> our, 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 our women. Uh, and meanwhile, the whole the whole entire time, you just hearing people say yes. You know, you know the one word you don't hear in that time in that moment. You don't hear no. Ooh. You hear yes. You Ooh. hear nothing but yeses. You see Ooh. nothing but, you know, a congregation of people mm. all in the same place. Some people more heightened. And when they're heightened, that's when they're jumping up and going on down. But then when they're not as heightened, they're saying yes. And they're clapping and they're giving God the glory. They're giving the spirit the glory. And you see it wash. You, you think it's impressive when people go to a football game and they wow. do the wave in the stands. You think that's impressive. Yeah, Let me tell you God. what's impressive. Yes, what's sir. impressive is when nobody in there is reading sheet music, but the Woo. band knows exactly which way to go. Yes. Nobody in there is reading a lyric sheet, but everybody in there is singing in key and knows where the chord is going to go while other people are in trance. The whole entire thing set on fire looks like the wind blowing over leaves. You see all the heads turning at the same time. Forget the wave in the, in the basketball arena. Forget the wave at the football stadium. You've never seen the wave of the spirit yes, causing people to, in waves, you see their heads turning and going up and down or whatever. Meanwhile, there's oh. still simultaneously people jumping up and down. That is the energy in there is so thick. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. Arguably, a scientist could go in there with the right bag and capture it, take it home, release it in their room and feel the same thing. That, Woo. that is one of the most amazing power sources. And I feel like it, it, it still fuels me to this day. Mm. I see. I see. You talk about having a computer, right? And sometimes you go to a place where the Wi-Fi isn't where it needs to be, but somebody brought their hotspot. Mm. The church <laughs> is the hotspot. <laughs> the church is the hotspot to that community. That 
oh. is unreal. Now, let me tell you, I'm a novice. I, you know, I, I love gospel music. Don't know enough about it. Don't know enough. I don't know many hymns. I, I don't know enough about it. I just know what I know. Mm. I know what I've seen. I know what I mm. felt. Mm. You know, I know what I felt. I know what I've experienced. See, when you see it and you hear it and you feel it, you know, three times is a confirmation, right? Yeah, buddy. I know mm. what I felt. Do you remember when you first heard God's voice? So here's the thing. When I hear God's voice, it's more of a feeling than it is an actual tone. And the words are a sense of gnosis, that Greek word gnosis, to know. Mm-hmm. The, when God speaks to me, he speaks through feeling. And the confirmation for me is when I get chills on my forearms and up my calves. Mm. And, and when it's really impactful, when it's really an exclamation mark, I feel it on my calves, my forearms, and up my spine. It goes up. It don't go down. It goes up. That's when I know. And the first time, I can't say I remember because it's all that I've known. Mm. When, you know, my, my, my grandmother was super holy. My, whole, my dad's side of the family, super holy. My mom's mom was very, was, she was from a Baptist church and she was holy as well, but it was a different kind of thing. Yeah, that yeah. Pentecostal standard yeah. is a different kind of thing. It's just, and I, it's listen. It's a different kind of thing. It's a different it's kind different. of thing. And, and the Baptist energy is amazing. It's amazing. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Love to all my Baptist brothers and sisters. <laughs> Love. No, but it's different. The Pentecostal is, is, a, is Pentecostal because the rules were so much higher and there are some conservative Baptist churches, right? Mm-hmm. But I mean, at the very heart of the Pentecostal movement and energy, because the rules are so high, I would argue to say that the, that the spiritual concentration f- just feels a bit, just felt different to me. You know, there are people who go to a Catholic church and will argue all day long that, you know, what they feel in their sanctuary is different. I don't know that they spent any time in a Southern Pentecostal church, though. <laughs> yeah, yeah. You know what I'm saying? Oh, yes, yeah, where, where, where one chord change. Come on, man. One chord change can make your eye well up. And by the way, another thing, another thing okay, that they come, don't come, talk come about on, come as on, much. Come on, preacher. Come on, preacher. No, man. Come <laughs> on, man. Is that, yo, if you have synesthesia like I do, you are definitely seeing colors in that room. Mm. You are seeing colors every time them chords change. Mm-hmm. You sense the, you sense a color. You you feel the color. That's that's what synesthesia is for me. So that leads me because I know you were young, listening to all of this music, seeing all these colors, feeling all of these vibrations. Yes, sir. I know that you were a musical kid already, and your mind music was flowing in your mind. With that kind of music impacting you the way it did. Did it ever cross your mind to do gospel music? If yes, why didn't you? And if no, why not? Because I feel inadequate to play gospel music. I feel, I know what great piano and organ playing is in the gospel world. I know they have such an innate, amazing sense of chord changes. I know that I'm not that. I know lyrically I'm never going to be good enough. 
Yeah. I, I know that. Um, and by the way, look, I don't feel bad about that because it's my it's my truth. Mm-hmm. And look, Moses stammered. Moses had a stammer, right? His yes. brother Aaron, Aaron spoke for him. Moses didn't feel yes. adequate either. Now, yes. I'd argue that Moses was absolutely prepared for that. I yeah. really am not worthy of that. I, I am, we're working on an album now for Voices of Fire, and I'm doing it the way that I'm doing it because I know I'm not good enough for my standard of what I think amazing gospel music is, you know? We will forever disagree. We will never see eye to eye on that about your thoughts of being good enough. I will tell you that I'm so angry that sometimes the culture of gospel music has made some people feel that if they don't do certain kind of riffs or do certain things, that there's not a truth to their story. Yeah. We're we gonna yeah. hit that later. We and, by, hit- and by the way, and that and they, they, they I I understand because skateboarding is the same way. Skateboarding is like, you know, for a very long time, it was like, you know, they hate on everything, you know, that they, they don't want to let you in. Like, you're never good enough. It's like skateboarding was the same way. I understand that. Like, there are purists. They're like fundamentalists, very rudimental. And I understand that. But that wasn't my issue. My issue was I just really didn't feel, and I don't, I do not feel that I match up to the brilliance that these, you know, um, musicians from that world and the people who like their their improvisations are just like I mean do you understand that they can you know the right pianist can play chords with no one singing and make you understand that there is a god do you you understand like they can play that piano and make you think to yourself do you realize you're on the third rock from the sun you're on the third planet from the sun and that's nothing in comparison. I can't do that. But do you understand in my holy imagination that I am envious and maybe I'll get to hear it in heaven? What a Pharrell and his friends type of gospel album would have sounded like from a 17 or 18 year old Virginia kid that had all of this gift. Someday, someday. God going to let me open up the book and just get a peek at what that thing could have sounded like. I'm going to leave you alone. I ain't going to mess with you no more about that, but I'm angry. I didn't get to see it in my lifetime. And don't say nothing else, P. You, you got to be humble and be quiet. You can't even respond no more. You just got to hush and be still and know he's God. Anyway, <laughs> my, my question to you is, my question to you is, what, what, what else were you listening to? So you were listening to gospel music in church. What other kind of music at this young age of just, just kind of becoming this melting pot, what what other songs and music were you hearing and where were you getting it from? Like, was it Pops? Was it Mama? Like, where was all this other music coming from for you? Uh, my dad, um, my dad had a very specific kind of thing. You know, for a long time, I used to think it was just simply my aunt, my mother's sister, who played a lot of Stevie Wonder. She played a lot of Diana Ross. She played a lot of Michael Jackson. She played a lot of Earth, Wind, and Fire. My aunt used to play Parliament Funkadelic. <laughs> My dad would play Earth, Wind, and Fire. He would play The Spinners. Um, he would play LTD with Jeffrey Osborne 
Yes, sir. Uh, oh, man. Maze, Frankie Beverly. It's like a lot of chord-oriented stuff that just like was entrancing to me as a child. Now, he also would smoke, um, you know. Uh, reefer. Exotic aromas. Yeah, reefer, reefer is what they call it back then. The back, yeah. back, back in the day. <laughs> yeah, he would smoke a lot of reefer. So like as a child. Sass bow. Sass and bow, yeah. Yeah, yeah. so yeah. as a kid... <laughs> You know, listening to Earth, Wind, and Fire songs, Can't Hide Love, and, you know, all these amazing songs mm-hmm. uh, with amazing chord changes and grooves. Those things, I don't know, maybe as a kid and, you know, like most uh, black children whose parents smoke weed, some of us mm-hmm. was catching contacts. But it had it. It, 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 it. Whether we knew it or not, you know what I mean? It ain't all that much just smelling it in the world. Like, come on, man. Like, if you in the room, like, something's got to be happening. But here's what I will say. I was always a child who was obsessed with the stars. And when I think back, it's like looking out my parents' window or looking out of the window of the car when that music is playing and my dad is, you know, smoking his joints, like they smoked joints back then. Like it made me feel a certain kind of way hearing those chord progressions and staring at the stars that had like this crazy alchemical, like alchemy effect on my mind. And it just always made me feel a certain kind of respect for chords, which I didn't know what they were. All I knew was I like that song and I like this part coming up usually the core change or usually the bridges. Mm-hmm. And that just really shaped the way that I saw music. So now you go into the Pentecostal church. At that time, it was New Jerusalem Church of God in Christ. It was Kojic Church. Come on, come um, on, Kojic. Come and, on, Kojic. Uh, Elder, you know, Thorogood. And uh, where wow. my uncle, who's now who's now my pastor, but who he was, he was the in-house like organist that played the piano for them, played the keys for them. And uh, he led the uh, the band. And that's where, like, man, just hearing those chord changes, because they had the old sanctuary, and that's what I remember going to as a kid, that old sanctuary. <laughs> and then they built a new one when they, you know, got bigger yeah. or whatever. But the old sanctuary, let me tell you something right yeah, now. Yeah, something about the old sanctuary. Bro, something about the old sanctuary. Yes, the sir. smell, the, the, yes. the mint smell, because, yeah. <laughs> you know, because they would like, you know, the smell in the air because a lot of mints in there. And yeah, like, whether yeah. it was mint chewing gum or was like, you know, the peppermint yeah, buddy. candy. But whatever, the, 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 the fragrance of the women in there, the cologne of, you know, our older brothers and 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 the smell of the sanctuary itself, like the, the smell of the, the carpet and the wood and the pew, like yeah. that thing, that, that world. We have so much in common. We have so much in common. Uh, as I used to climb on top of the house and look at the stars as a kid and talk to God, I remember the first time I heard the Jones Girls, Nights Over Egypt, mm. and those cars changes in Nights Over Egypt. I don't know if you ever heard Nights Over Egypt. Yes, yes. Yeah, dun, yeah, dun, you know. Dun, dun, dun. Yeah, yeah, yes, Jones. sir. Yes, sir. So, you know, I'm, I'm, we have more in common than I ever realized. I am very fascinated also, Pharrell, when I meet men that had relationships with their fathers. And I want to ask you, what, what did he teach you just about being a man? Did you learn anything from him about just being not a musician, not a creative, but just a man? Probably what I got from my father, and I didn't really start exercising it in my own personal life until later, but definitely in my music is to say what I felt. 
and say what it is. And I wasn't like that in business and I wasn't like that in my personal life, but I was definitely like that in the studio. And that's what's given me mm. everything that I have now is to be able to discern when something's right or when something's wrong to be able to. And that's the other gift that he's given me too. That's what I get from my dad. My dad can read you. You stand there for one minute. He going to tell you who that person is, a good, bad. Uh, wow. If they mean you well, you know, if they out for themselves, he tell you that in one minute. Wow. 60 seconds. Wow. 60, 60, 60 to 120 seconds. He going to tell you. He'd put me to the side. Yep. Nope. Yep. And 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 that was from my dad's side of the family. My grandmother had that. Even my grandfather, her husband had that. You know, a lot of my aunts, my uncles got it as a pastor. Um, that was the number one thing that he taught me. I seen him do that. And it never set me down until like maybe 10 and a half years ago, 10, 12 years ago. Well, he would talk to me about our gift, the gift that's, that we have, mm. you know, that gift of discerning. Mm. And that's, what, that's what's allowed me to do what I do as a producer. What I have in my mother is empathy. Mm. So I, the gift of discernment and the gift of empathy, and those are my gift and my curse. After the break... I asked Pharrell how he used those gifts to get himself through the awkward adolescent years. Let's go. Do you ever wonder how celebrities order food? Like, is Sarah Paulson a Diet Coke or a regular Coke girlie? <laughs> Some peasant Coke? No. Or how does Sofia Vergara order a pizza? No, no, no tomatoes. I cannot eat tomatoes. No tomatoes? Yes. Are you killed mushrooms? Not really. Okay. <laughs> if these are the details you need, and I know you do, I have the podcast for you. I'm Jesse Tyler Ferguson, and on my podcast, Dinners on Me, I take some notable friends of mine out to dinners in Los Angeles and New York City. Listen wherever you get your podcasts. That thing was delicious. <laughs> So how did you maneuver with those gifts when you felt like an outsider as a young man? And you, 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 um, you even once said that you lived like in Normalville and, 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 and that you didn't look like the average kid. How did those gifts from your mom and your daddy navigate you? And it's funny, we have so much in common. I was a uh, short kid, big nose, big lips. Uh, you know, I used to have freckles on my tongue. Mm. So the girls didn't give me no sugar. You know, it, 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 it was hard to get some sugar from the ladies. And so I just remember being that outsider too. I couldn't play sports. But when I got on the piano, I became visible. Mm -hmm. Outside of the piano, I was invisible. How, how did those things help you navigate you feeling like an outsider when you were younger too? So you're all, you're, I'll take it further than that. Outsider, uh, weirdo, misfit. It's mm -hmm. only a misfit, which is that word, misfit until you find your purpose, then it is like the perfect fit. Why you preaching? And Why you preaching? <laughs> I'm not, man. I, <laughs> but, you know, so once you find your purpose, then all of a sudden it's the perfect fit and you realize it was meant for you. All, 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 all the kids, man, and, and parents out there, if your kids are different and a little weird, you guys just haven't figured out what their 
purposes. When you find what their purpose is, they they become the exact opposite. So good. They go from being weird to to being exceptional. So good. And that is and that's what God wants for everyone. That's what being different is all about. Your difference is what makes you special, but you just need to find the place for it. The problem is when our parents and you know enable us and impair us by shaving off the truth in order to make it fit. So good. But you know what? That's not a real that's not a real big picture for your puzzle, right? What that is is a bunch of misfit ill-fitted. Mm-hmm. That's when you become more than misfit. That's when you you live your life being ill-fitted. Mm, that's good. Because they have shaved off the truth to make it feel comfortable for them. That's so good. That's so good. When really our parents and us as kids, we got to do the work to figure out where do we belong? You know what I'm saying? Where do we belong? Your love for your family. And, 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 and of course, you know that this is also from a lot of people like you and me from the South. You know, you're from Virginia. I'm from Texas. And, and you know, just that family unity thing. Like, even though I didn't have family, listening to you, your deep love for family and just all the tools that you were, all just the jewels that just blessed you as a man. You have been very intentional about the covering and the protection of your family. You don't really, you know, maybe share much. Was there an experience that you uh, have had that has caused you to make the decision to kind of be more more private about your family and your your relationships that caused you to be that way? Yeah, because there's way more pressure in the light. Mm. And the dark doesn't pay off. Mm. The dark never pays off. You got to stand in the light Mm. and you can't think that you're perfect. Amen. Amen. You can't think that you're perfect. It's not easy to deal with what we do. Mm -hmm. And if it's hard for me and you to stand in the light and try to really get it right, Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. it would be exponentially tough for people who haven't totally found their like true super purpose. That's good, man. Right? That's good. Because your parents, because one of the parents is shaving off some of the truth to make it fit. Mm. So it's ill-fitted. So is that person really ready for the light to really be in that bright light? Right? So then when you're doing that, that means that you're standing in your truth. Now, what is your truth? Is your truth perfect? No. See, people say, you know, I'm honest. I never lie. I'm, I'm always honest. Oh, whatever. And then, and then there is being truth. Yeah. And there's standing in your truth. You're not always going to be honest. Mm-hmm. Were you honest about your taxes? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Okay. Were you honest when you pulled into that handicap thing just because your wife needed to run in there right quick? There's a whole bunch of things that you do that are not always honest. Yeah. But you can admit when you were dishonest and stand in your truth 100% of the time. And I just like to make that distinction. I think it's better to stand in your truth than to think that you are the most honest person on the planet. I think it's beautiful. Yes, sir. And- your family members got to understand that. So I try to teach them that truth is more important, is the ultimate, because God knows your truth. One of my mentors said to me, Pharrell, that creatives live in a place that's not yet created. Mm -hmm. And so it's difficult to sometimes balance that family model because your wife and your kids, they live in a real world Mm 24-7. You and I get to visit you know what I mean? We we kind of get to visit, but we spend a lot of our times mentally in spaces that are not created. Yeah. How have you been able 
especially during this pandemic, because people in the same house together, walking around, you know, you ain't brushing your teeth. How have you been able to just balance your creative mindset with the reality that you got to tap into to be able to be the daddy and husband that reality requires? Well, I've enjoyed this time. I've enjoyed this time. It's allowed me to have so much more time with my family. So I, it just, this was not a bad thing for me. It was like actually really, it was like one of the more um, enriching and enlightening experiences for me because I was able to be super present. So I've, I've been grateful for that. Let me ask you this question about this light that you were talking about. You had a chance to stand in a light that many creators and many artists have not had an opportunity. You were blessed that God let you borrow one of the biggest songs of the 21st century. I love that you said borrow, and we'll go back to the concept of borrowing. I love that you said that. That's what I use all the time is that I've never written a song. These are songs that God loans me. You are a thousand percent correct. I want to ask you a question. He loaned you a song called Happy. Yes, sir. This song is by far a song that changed the trajectory of people's emotions and spirits in the 21st century like no other song. That was a bright light. Yes, sir. That was a bright light. Mm-hmm. Did that light ever burn? Did, 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 it, did you ever feel the weight of that light? Because a lot of times people want the follow-up. What's the next song? Uh, uh, happy or is it going to be grin? Mm-hmm. You know, is, mm-hmm. is it going to mm-hmm. be smirk? You know, but, but because it was so big, it was such a bright light. Did you feel the weight of it? The weight that I felt from it was because I started to see this song that it wasn't my idea to write that song. That song was was a response to what I needed to do for Despicable Me. It was for a scene. And the name of that song was Walking on Sunshine. And we needed something that felt like that, that felt made you feel the way Walking on Sunshine did. And Gru was a, was a mean character, pretty much. So it was like all of a sudden, this was the second one. It was like, we need Gru to be happy for once. We need him mm. to be excited about love for once. We need him to be excited. And so it took me like nine tries to get to that song. And when I finally got there, I was like, man, what do you, what, how do you just write a song about someone being, I guess, maybe happy as the word. We want him to be happy, but, and nothing can bring him down. And then the chords came. But it wasn't me sitting down saying, I know what I'm going to do. I'm going to write this song that's going to like, you know, move. What I don't know. What is it? 12 million copies, 13 million copies, 14, something. Oh, huh? Some, something like that. Oh, and like and 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 it's going to feel way more like a gospel song that, that was from the late <laughs> 60s. Yeah, buddy. Yeah, buddy. Right. Um, yeah, buddy. At a time where dance music, you know, 120 BPMs was the sound at the time. Wow. And it's going to disrupt everything. No, I didn't sit down and do that. These were all these conditions that were lobbed at me and things that boxes that I needed to check to get it done. That wasn't me. That was the universe. And mm-hmm. I'm glad that you said borrowed because people don't realize nothing is new under the sun. Come on, man. Come on, nothing man. Nothing is new under the Come sun. On. The universe, that's why it's called a universe and we call them universities. 
right? Listen. When you learn about anything, virtually anything in the universe at a university. Mm -hmm. So what does that mean about the universe itself? Mm -hmm. The universe is a library and we are literally only checking out ideas. Quincy Jones says it's only 12 notes on the piano. Yes, man. It's only 12 notes because it's only 12 notes. All you're doing is that you're borrowing from what was there. And, and, it's already and, there. Yes, it's already there because it's only 12 notes. It's only 12 notes. Listen, with no auto-tune, you are talking into notes right now. Yes, sir. Literally, everything that you just said, we could stop it, freeze it, isolate it, and we could figure out what key you are speaking in right now and what notes within that key. What are those, what are those variances in notes? Like, people don't realize it's, it's everything that we hear is music. Even if it's dissonant, they're all notes. And so this understanding that you have of this and, and this passion that you come from about knowing the bigger purpose of music, and you have been able to sit with some of the biggest artists, Jay, Beyonce, Snoop, Kendrick, Ariana, Usher, Gwen, Daft Punk, Justin, just to name a few, the Grammys, the awards, uh, Happy Sold 75 billion copies, <laughs> just in Florida. You know, it's, 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 it's just, uh, it's amazing. I have to ask you because you sat on so many different seats and it's not to dog anybody, not to, you know, but sometimes the OGs always sound like that they may be not speaking love about the new generation of music. I've got to ask you, how do you feel about the state of music today? I love it. I love it because it's supposed to continue. It's supposed to grow. It's supposed to evolve. And if it didn't, it doesn't matter whether I love every which way it's going. I've never loved every which way it was going before I got a chance to be in the music industry. Mm. I preferred the stations that I preferred, mm -hmm. the radio stations at the time, right? Mm -hmm. I mean, who listens <laughs> at this point, right? A lot of times people are just simply streaming. I, I, I do a lot of all of it still. But I mean, that's like, that's like a drip in the river being mad about which direction things are going. Like be happy to be a drip in the river. Oh, that's so good. To have, that is so to good. To have ever, ever, ever gone along for the ride. And the fact that we're still in it. Oh my God, I'm so grateful. I'm so grateful. And that river is the river of intuition because it's mm -hmm. not promised. The river of creativity because we're all co-creators, right? God is the ultimate creator. But yes, every time we have a thought, we are... We are co-creating. I'm so lucky to be one of those people. So yes. lucky to exist. Yes. Yes. Man. God is the writer. We are the pen and the world is the paper. Man, <laughs> you can say that. You can also say, you know, there's a lot of people saying they got the juice and it's like, you know, no, 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 you don't understand. God is the juice. Yeah, you are lucky. Buddy. You are not even the ice and you're definitely not the cup, right? <laughs> you're, you're lucky. You are lucky to just be the straw. Come on. <laughs> you know, yeah. you're lucky that the juice can come through the straw. You're lucky. You ever seen a straw when it's got a hole in it? You ever seen a straw that is made of like paper, these paper straws? You get halfway through the drink and they start folding over? Be glad that you are a straw still standing and that the juice has decided to come through you. Right? Don't be jealous of that ice. Don't be jealous of that cup. And the church said, amen. Yeah, man. Amen. 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 Be grateful. That's where I'm at with it, man. I'm not perfect. 
but I'm grateful because I, I understand I have the metacognition. I know that it could be somebody else. There's so many other people who are way more talented than me that are never just off the sheer fact that it's all, everything is based on numbers, numbers, right? Yeah. Yeah. There are people who are living outside yes. who want a meal, but all they hear is music all day, yes. way more talented than me. And they don't have this opportunity just because the math and the odds did not work out in their favor in this lifetime. Because Beautiful. while they are gifted with all that talent, God had another set of lessons for them. Come on, man. I'm grateful. Oh, 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 oh. let's let that breathe for a minute. Oh, my gosh, man. Let me say to you, man, I, man, you, 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 man, you have blessed us today, man. You have blessed me. And the more I get a chance to be blessed to be around you and to hear you talk, for real, I get it. And I get why the Lord and his sovereign plan used you as one of his pens. As I get it, as I get it, listening to you now and the level of gratitude that you carry is that you were not driven by fear as much as you were thankfulness, that you had such this great well of being thankful. And I get it. Thank you. I get it now because your heart is so tender like that and, and your heart is so pure. And when you have seen, especially the last nine months of, of the world and, and just the conundrum that the human species finds itself in right now, what is Pharrell's thoughts when it comes to just even the state of the world? This is a plague. We're in a plague. Mm. When else do you know people can die in eight days? Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. some people, it's fine. Some people are not. I think that this is a plague of selfishness. This is a pandemic of selfishness. You know, the the poison in it is when you're selfish, you're asymptomatic and you don't think you need to wear a mask, but then you're going to go and endanger the older people that you love that may have underlying or pre-existing conditions. That's a selfishness. You're okay. So you don't want to wear a mask. That's selfish. Now, the cure to selfishness is to be selfless Amen. and to wear a mask. And to test yourself as often as you can. Mm-hmm. So even though you good, you're making sure that uh, you're not transmitting to people who have compromised systems. Yes. That's number one. And the other thing is, I, I would say that like, you know, this is a cleansing. And some people will listen to that and be like, oh, that's terrible if God would cleanse. But it ain't terrible that mankind is doing it to himself. Oh, Ooh. So it's bad when God do it, but it's not bad when we as people say that's our issue. That's Ooh. that's the issue. The biggest, the greatest issue with the human condition is hubris. We don't have enough humility. Mm. So when something is, we do these things to ourselves and we blame other people. We do these things to ourselves and we blame God. We do these things to ourselves and we blame everybody else but ourselves. Uh. Ourselves. Uh. And to me, this this is a plague of selfishness brought on by who? By us. Yes. Yes. Say that again. I, Man, you are speaking so much encouragement. My last question to you, brother. Tell me about this skin line. So, you know, almost 20 years ago, I met my dermatologist. Her name is Dr. Elena Jones. Look her up, you guys and ladies and human beings. She's out of New York, African-American woman. Wow. Dope. incredibly talented, so skilled. Uh, and her instincts are amazing because everybody's face is different. Yeah. And yeah, yeah. it was a girl I was like hanging out with at the time. And uh, when this one girl said this to me, she was like, man, like you're not 
taking care of your face. You're just like taking a shower and like, you just, mm -hmm. you think just because you're washing your face, that's enough. Like what products are you using? Are you using anything else? Like, and it could be homeopathic. It don't have to be a, a brand necessarily, but are you literally just like, at the time I was using like, I think I was just still used, like using ivory or something like that. <laughs> and uh, she was like, well, let me introduce you to uh, my friend. Um, Elena Jones. And I was like, okay, cool. So I go in to see her. And then like, she just gives me this whole talk about how we as not only African-Americans, but, but men as well, like we have to be more aware of our hygiene and mm. it isn't just a shower. It isn't just like washing your face simply. And, you know, we talk about skincare, but there's also skin health and good skin health is knowing that you're cleansing, right? You're getting in the pores and getting the dirt out, okay. exfoliating, okay. you know, taking off the dead layers of skin, moisturizing. It's when you're like locking in the moisture. So with us, we have a rice powder cleanser and it has a little bit of grain in there uh -huh. so that uh -huh. it helps to really open up the pores and get in there. I feel clean already. Oh, I yeah. I feel clean already. Then... <laughs> There is the exfoliator, which has a lotus enzyme. And what's interesting about the lotus enzyme is that the lotus is what the Egyptians would symbolize as rebirth, mm -hmm. right? If you look mm -hmm. at any of the hieroglyphics, right? Mm -hmm. And there's a glycolic acid in it. It's like the active ingredient to help uh, exfoliate, right? Okay. And then there is our moisturizer, which we call a humidifying cream. And it has like this... Uh, snow mushroom extract. And oh, what Jesus. that does is, yeah, that seals in like the moisture. And so we call it a humidifying cream because I have always sworn by humidity and so does Dr. Jones. And it's because if you ever think, think about it, when you have, whenever you go to a place where there's a lot of humidity, sometimes our sisters, our wives, our aunts, our moms, our cousins, our nieces, they don't like it because of what it does to their, to their hair. But if they pay attention to what their skin looks like, it looks amazing. What they say is, is dewy, right? That is very true. Very true. Right? You go to those environments where it's a lot of humidity, you see that the older people look 10 to 15 to 20 years younger. That is very true. That's what humidity does. Now, you live in a dry environment, right? Yeah. If you live in a dry environment, you can easily just take a 20 to 30 minute super warm Epsom salt bath, right? And no, you'll right. sweat. And the minute that you get out, your pores close and your skin looks like porcelain. Everybody in Texas face look cracked up. Keep going. <laughs> no. <laughs> but that is, but what that does is that seals, right? So gotcha. that's why we call it a humidifying cream because we wanted to do that. But man, I learned all these things from this African-American, super talented, incredibly enlightened woman. That's my doctor. That's my dermatologist. You have been so unique you and your crew, y'all were avant-garde and everything. You approached you. You went to uh, labels with songs for artists that were anti-radio, and you allowed them to have confidence to play songs. I mean, grinding wasn't even a song that had much keyboards and nothing in it. Wasn't no bridge in it. It was just drums. Mm -hmm. And I was playing grinding on the church parking lot. And I just want to let y'all know, I'm your push. The world, the world is about to feel, about to feel something. something. 
that they never felt before. And was 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 about to go in to uh, do choir rehearsal, and everything that was happening, it was out of the norm. Even your voice, for you to have the courage to have this unique voice when when Brian McKnight was out during your time, and mm-hmm, Joe, mm-hmm. and all these other big singers, but you had the confidence to sing. Give the people listening. It's almost like a quick masterclass moment, King. Help people trying to tap into their uniqueness and to get the courage to be bold while being unique? Um, I don't want to be misleading because you have to be hardwired for it too. And if you're not hardwired, that's what you got to work at. I think I was hardwired, just a curious kid. I was very curious. But if that's not where you're at, you got to be curious to experiment to see what comes out of it. And then you got to be curious to see how it affects people. And it's in the studying of the experimentation and the studying and the listening back. And you got to love getting that result and you got to love incorporating that information into your process to continue to cultivate your sound and your difference and get comfortable in it. You know, I'm not much of a singer, but, you know, my vocal coach, just because I didn't want to blow my voice out going on stage with an ERD and screaming and all that stuff, all the stuff (laughs) that we did, because it's like a lot of high energy, high octane energy. You know, my vocal coach would say, I was like, man, I just want to learn how to do a run. And he was like, well, you got to do something that you as a producer would would never really want to do, which is try notes because you're such a control freak. You got to try these notes and you're going to sound funny and people in the room are going to laugh. But once you get control of it, then those notes become a part of your repertoire. Mm. And making music is the same way. You got to try and do things and you got to incorporate them in your repertoire, get comfortable with them, and then they become a part of your musical lexicon. And life is the same way. You got to try things that aren't necessarily comfortable to you if you want to be able to have that at your ready whenever you want to come to grips with who you are as a human being. Ladies and gentlemen, the first thing that I want you to know is that he said something that we can't just brush over. He basically said that you've got to also be prepared for the tough-skinnedness and the wiring to be able to have this type of inner thickness because he knows what's going to come. That rejection, that the being laughed at, the trying the things that may fail, you've got to be willing to be prepared to count yes, that sir. cost. That's what you're saying, brother, right? Yes, sir. You've got to be willing to write that check. You've got to be prepared to write that. They're going to laugh at you. It may suck. It may not work the second, third, fourth, fifth, sixth, seventh time, but you got to be ready. And this brother has been ready to diversify. I mean, he's diversified in music, fashion, movies, TV shows. And he's got one with some people that are very close to him that have been part of the development of who he is as a man. And I think that it will be only uh, honorable if we can tap into these brothers this We'll be joined by Bishops Ezekiel Williams and Kevin Harris from the Netflix series Voices of Fire when we return with more good words with Kirk Franklin. Let's go. Ready for a good time? 
Pharrell lives and breathes this love of gospel music. And as a matter of fact, I just want to welcome these brothers. Brothers, how y'all doing? Excellent. Bless. Bless. Good. Yo, man, thank y'all for being with us, man. Bishop Ezekiel Williams and Kevin Harris. How did y'all know, first of all, that he had it, that he had it? How did how did y'all know that Pharrell as a youngin had it? <laughs> well, you know, Pharrell, he started out as a child playing the drums and with a, a, a interest for the drums, as a lot of church children do. And um, it just progressed from there. And then in his late teens, when he began to write music and to hook up with some of the other artists there, you know, everybody knew that there was potential. I think my mother um, felt in the spirit. My mother was a very, uh, very spiritual woman, a praying woman, and she just felt in the spirit as well that he was going to go far. We all kind of supported that to see where he was going to go. How did you support his dreams versus telling him that because he wasn't doing necessarily sanctified music that he wasn't going to hell? Because you know how we can be sometimes, you know, like how did y'all do that, you know, to encourage him without condemning him? Well, uh, there again, I think that goes back to my mother. My mother was a very, very open minded individual. And even as she encouraged me that you never know where your music is going to take you. So you have to uh, in, invest in all kinds of genres of music. I, I believe it was the same for Pharrell. You know, he didn't choose gospel, but the gift came from God and the gift was there. And uh, and we just supported that. So now he's able now to come back and use his incredible platform that he's been blessed to have to now bring light to a genre that he's honored, that he has so much respect for with this new uh, Netflix docuseries that's been brilliant called uh, Voices of Fire. I'm sitting at the crib watching it. I watched the whole doggone uh, season in one night, you know, until like four o'clock in the morning. Beautiful. The storytelling was brilliant. I loved all of the uh, story. Lines. I just love following them to tell me about this show. Who, uh, whose idea was it? How did it start? Who, who came up with this incredible moment to showcase gospel music this way? Well, you know, Hampton Roads area has always been full of uh, gifted artists. There's just so many individuals who are there that are talented and gifted, and and then it's a very, very uh, strong spiritual area in the Bible Belt. And so Pharrell was a part of that. And, and of course, I'm a part of that. And, and we wanted to showcase the talent that we had, but we needed a way to expose our area or expose the world to our area. And so speaking with Pharrell, he says, we've got to find a way. We've got to find a way. Uncle, I know you want to build this choir, but we can't just do it for Hampton Roads. The world needs to know what's here. Of course, we've had the something in the water, and, and that was a very, very big uh, success. Yes, I had a chance to come. I had a chance to come the night that it rained out. I was there the night it rained out. <laughs> yeah, man. <laughs> we need you back when we open back up, by the man, way, Kurt. Come, but come on, please. It ain't even a question. Okay. Bishop, tell me about the diversity in this choir. Let me tell you something. That was brilliant. Like, how did y'all tap into a community that doesn't look like the average gospel choir? 
Well, man, we just put the call out. We put the call out and we let them know that we're looking for a choir uh, of individuals that will be comprised of uh, different walks of life from um, different ethnicities, races, you name it. And uh, everybody was excited. Of course, you know, I can't say that the world knew me. But I can definitely say, of course, that the world knew Pharrell. And when his name was attached to it, everybody wanted to be a part. And and we wanted individuals that were not alike. I know we, we think of a gospel choir, we think of African-Americans, but we wanted more than that. Yes, we have it. We have it. But we wanted Caucasian individuals, Latinos, you know, uh, we wanted Asians, you name it. We wanted them to be a part. And surprisingly enough, they all showed up. The star of the show is the wig. The lady <laughs> with the blonde wig. It's all about the, let me tell you something. The lady with the wig is a beast. And I love how she be rocking her wigs like they her best friends. I love the lady with the wig. I know, I'm quite sure she got names for them too. I'm quite sure you let her know, you let her know that she got a fan. Miss Peggy Britt. Got a fan. Miss Peggy Britt. And with the way she sings. Woo! Yeah. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. She can. I'm telling you. I'm telling you, man. This show, y'all did your thing. The the DNA, Pharrell, of the show. The DNA. Just the way that it's structured. I'm telling you, y'all. And, and for Netflix to showcase this genre of music on a bigger platform, it just shows how powerful gospel music is. Bishop, what is different now? What do you think has changed now where there's this more acceptance of this marriage of the sacred and the secular? Well, I believe that um, personally, uh, individuals like Pharrell and yourself that have been instrumental in giving the exposure to gospel music, it makes it more acceptable. Now, at the end of the day, I would say that People are looking for something that affects them. And now, because of this, because of this music that we are experiencing now, we're receiving letters and emails from all over the world of individuals that are not necessarily Christian that have been at the point of suicide that said because of the show and because of the music that we sang, they were encouraged to live and that their lives have been changed. And so I think that these individuals are beginning to realize that all music comes from God. Um, you know, he's the great creator. I think the show has been like a catalyst. And I think also my uncle, when he became consecrated, at his consecration, just becoming a bishop, like when he became a bishop, I think me and his relationship changed. And we started talking about things like Voices of Fire. And that's when he also introduced me to one of his best friends, Bishop Harris, who's become a really good friend of mine. And from that moment on, I started to think like, I have a lot of really close friends, but you know, Jimmy Iovine said something to me. He said, you know, Pharrell, you have to staff your life, you know? And I said, what do you mean by that? He was like, you have to have people in your life that bring value to you. Mm. And I started thinking about that and I started evaluating some of my friendships and I'm like, man, how much, what is the give and take ratio? Mm. And because we're givers, right? Because we've been blessed with so much, we implicitly just, we just know that we're meant to give, right? Mm -hmm. You're gifted something that you know that you are have, then you have to continue to give. 
But in that moment when my uncle became consecrated as a, as a bishop, he introduced me to uh, his good friend, Bishop Harris. And I realized that like, I wanted to have more people who were prophetic, more people who were sages, more people who were seers, but they did it on the auspices of knowing that God is the absolute greatest, mm. you know? Wow. And I just wanted to say that like, my life has changed exponentially because I've invited that kind of holiness in my life as my strategic scaffolding in my life from my left and my right. Amazing. And I, Amazing. the reason why I wanted to have them on here to talk about voices of fire, yes, but also to talk about their impact on my life and their, their friendship on my life. I want you to know, as I want you to know as your brother, Pharrell, I'm so proud of you. I am so proud of you that your journey with Christ is this thing that is that is opening up this space where you're getting a chance to not only read the scripture, but it's coming to life. You are beginning to see the word of life, as the text says, you know, that that he's the bread of life. I'm I am so proud of you. And Bishop Harris, I'm just wanting to hear from you uh, just how this is impacting you and how you can just kind of point us into something in this conversation. Um, first of all, thank you so much, um, and it's it's my honor to be here with three great men and brothers who have made an imprint on the world, not just uh, through this particular podcast, but all of you at some point in time have touched the fabric of everything that God embodies in the earth. And uh, with that being said, when I think about Brother Pharrell, uh, he preaches all the time. Some of the greatest <laughs> messages that I've ever heard has been from him. And I said, you know, you got that old man preacher thing going on with you right now. And he laughs. But uh, it is so true when you have that type of anointing. And uh, we oftentimes in the church will make this anointing very exclusive. But all of us at some point in time who have been in the music industry or just traveling around uh, the country and touching people who are artistic, we feel that same virtue of anointing. And sometimes we have to come back into our buildings and say to people, it is not just exclusively with us. God has spread this smearing, this type of oil on everybody who is surrendered, who is humble enough to be used by God. So uh, his uncle, Archbishop uh, Ezekiel Williams, I, I love him. We have traveled across this country together. And so uh, the fruit doesn't fall too far from the tree. Uh, <laughs> the seed is the fruit of itself. Uh, so um, it is not by accident that when you watch Voices of Fire, you see both of them really speaking to those that are confined within buildings, what the church really means. I mean, think about it. You have all of these different cultures ethnicities, and particularly all of these stories of people's experience, and they're all brought together. Isn't that the same thing that should be happening in our church? Uh, that you have somebody here who doesn't have an ear, but has a resonance in their tone yeah. to be able to Phenomenal. say the Phenomenal. miracles that happen. Uh, so I am blessed to be able to say that the Voices of Fire is really the picturesque uh, vignette of what the church really should be. 
Bishop Williams and Bishop Harris, I want to thank you along with the great legendary Pharrell for this incredible time. I, nobody would have ever thought that we would have had church like this. This has been so super dope. I cannot thank you guys enough for being here with me. King, I celebrate you. And but listen, man, Voices of Fire, uh, the new single, Hit the Refresh. And Pharrell's face line, his skin care, you can be 160 <laughs> and look like you 24. That's what stop it is. Playing, man. Stop Pharrell playing. is 175. <laughs> He's 175 years old, and that's what stop it is. Playing. Thank you so much, King. I love you. Thank you for love giving you, me brother. a few minutes Thank of you. your time. God bless y'all, man. Thank you. Thank you, Unc. Thank you, Bishop. You guys be blessed. Thank you so much. God bless. Thank you. For those of you that may have started your journey without a lot of confidence, or you've gotten discouraged because some of the blows and some of the doors that have closed in your face, I hope today's show shows you today that you have got to first start with a tool that is very, very important before you start trying to write checks that may come back and they may come back bouncing or they may come back with insufficient funds. You may have some rejections that may knock you off your course. The first thing that you need to deposit into your account is that you have a purpose. You have a purpose and that your purpose cannot be based on what you see others do, what you see others level of success, the timing of other people's accomplishments. You've got to understand that God created you for something great. And so if the biggest creator of creation took time to orchestrate you, you cannot give up just because some doors that man may close may cause you to forget that you have purpose. Something very important that one of my mentors taught me. People are your resource. They are not your source. That door that closed is just a resource. It is not your source. That opportunity that didn't happen, it's just a resource. It is not your source. God is your source. So if one door closes, your source can create another. And that's why you've got to embrace your place in the planet with humility and gratitude. Because one thing that I learned early on, God loves me, but he don't need me. That means that I don't stop the party. I don't stop the show. So everything I do, there is a level of gratitude, as Pharrell said today, that you must have, that you must walk in at everything you do. So that when the door does open, and when you start winning and when you start accomplishing all that you do, remember to never compromise and to assimilate just because that's what the culture may do. You've got to be authentically you until the very end. Some days it may sell, some days it may not, but your authenticity will always keep you in a lane that is yours and nobody else can stand in that lane as long as you recognize your truth, as long as you recognize your purpose and you remember that God is your source. I hope you enjoyed this opportunity for me to break bread with Reverend Bishop, Dr. Elder, Chief Priest Pharrell Williams as he broke bread about his journey, his life and his experiences and some of the life lessons that you can tap into to be able to be your best you. Thank you for hanging out with your boy and I hope that you join me again because I really appreciate the journey with you of listening to these good words. Thank y'all so much for listening to Good Words with Kurt Franklin. 
If you'd like to support the show, please rate us and leave a review on your podcast app. Good Words with Kirk Franklin is a collaboration between For Your Soul Entertainment, Sony Music, Provident Entertainment, and Spoke Media. We're produced by Trey Jones and Cody Hoffmachel with help from Alicia Force and John Yale Kastner. Our executive producer is Keisha T.K. Dutess with Aaliyah Tabakolian and Keith Reynolds. This episode was mixed by Will Short. The rest of our team is Reese Brooks and Michael Havens from For Your Soul, Ron Hill and Phil Thornton from Provident Entertainment. And a very special thank you to the Sony Podcast team. Let's go. Let's go.